You are now listening to an awesome sermon from the St. Louis Dream Center. Grab a pen and some paper, you're in for a treat. What would our nation look like? What would our cities look like? What would our homes look like if honor was restored? We, we, we talk about this and we, we're, we're real good at saying, well, this younger generation doesn't know how to honor their elders or honor people. Can I tell you a secret? Everybody that's younger learned from someone that was older. So if there is an issue with the honor that we see from younger generations, we have to look at us and say, what did we teach our children, the people in our schools about honor? See, this is what I've learned. We are not here in and of ourselves. We are not here to have just the big house and the big car. We are not here to have our agendas pushed and our agendas move the cross. We are here to glorify the God that created us. And he paid a hefty price to have us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, 14, the spirit of God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. I want to introduce you to a thought. Mom and daddy weren't the first introduction that you had into the world. You were specifically and divinely crafted by the Savior or by the creator of all creation. The eyes, the color of your skin, the makeup of your body. You were created by God for God to give glory to God. And if we don't understand that that's why we're here, we will get lost in a selfish, self-centered lifestyle that will keep us from getting what God has promised that we can have. Look at Isaiah 43, 5 through 7. So don't be afraid I'm with you. I'll round up all your scattered children, pull them in from the east and the west. I'll send orders to the north and the south, send them back. Return my sons from distant lands and my daughters from faraway places. I want them back, every last one who bears my name, every man, woman, and child. And this is the part, whom I created for my glory. Yes, personally formed and made each one. So God's saying he created every single person on the face of this earth, whether they know Jesus or not. They were created to give him glory. And when we know Jesus, we are that much closer to fulfilling the reason why we're on the earth. Revelations 4 and 11 puts it like this. Uh, uh, John is saying this as he's on the Isle of Patmos. He says, worthy are you, O Lord, worthy are you, O God, to receive glory and honor and power. You alone created all things, and through your will and by your design, they exist and were created. The word glory means an adoring praise, a worshipful thanksgiving. 
But another word for glory is honor. We are to live for the glory and the honor of God. So back in 2007, Tony Dungy uh, was in the Super Bowl against Lovey Smith. So it was the Indianapolis Colts. It was Chicago Bears. And they're playing. And as clock is winding down, Tony Dungy realizes Indianapolis is about to win the Super Bowl in 2007. He, in that moment, is sitting there knowing that at the end of every game, like this, a reporter is going to come up to the winning coach and shove a mic in his face. There will be millions of people in that moment waiting to hear what that coach is going to say. Some of us have heard people say, I'm going to Disneyland. Tony Dungy, in that moment, he tells a story. He is sitting right there on the sidelines, about two minutes or so left, and he's thinking about what he's going to say. And he grabs the mic and, and says at the end of the game, I give all the glory to God for what happened. He didn't start out by saying, I thank my players, I thank my my coaching staff, I thank the fans for their support. He put the glory where the glory belonged. He said, I give to millions of people. In a moment where he could talk about how great a coach he was. He, it was historic because he was the first African-American coach to win the Super Bowl. He could have talked about that historic moment. But you know, his mind wasn't focused on him. If it had not been for God, we wouldn't be here. So I give all the glory to God for this Super Bowl win. See, what we don't understand, if we hold that glory and honor ourselves, it'll destroy us. The human psyche, the human body isn't, it isn't created to, to, to only talk about its own highlights all the time. To carry its own weight of glory all the time. We were created to deflect glory. That's what we do. We deflect the glory. Wow, I love the way that the worship team sang today. And I will walk over to them and I'll say, you guys were amazing. And you know what their answer should be? Thank you. Glory to God. Because here's the thing, it gets weird in the other side. You ever had that person? Where you're giving them a compliment and say, well, glory to God. He's the one that gave me the breath and the life. He's the one that gave me the ability to sing. That's all true. They can talk to God later and tell him glory. They're coming to you, weirdo. I mean, I'm sorry, person that doesn't understand how that works exactly. They're thanking you for allowing God to use you to do the thing that they did. So when someone, when somebody says that sermon blessed me, I don't say, well, just glory to God. I say, thank you. Glory to God. See, what I'm doing in that moment is I'm taking in to recognize that the person is giving me a compliment, but I'm not going to hold on to that glory. I got to give it up because he is the one that gave me the breath. He is the one that gave me the gift. He is the one that anointed me to do it. So he deserves the glory. And as we live our lives, 
whether at work or in church, at home or at school, anything good, he deserves the glory for it. And, and, and here's the thing. We were created to reflect God to the world. We were created, meaning the world is supposed to see how God is through us. The Bible talks about that Jesus was the perfect expression of God. If you want to know what God is like, read through the Gospels and see how Jesus interacted with people. Because he was the perfect expression of God. Well, the Bible tells us that our goal in this life isn't the big house, isn't just the big calling, isn't just big anything. Our goal is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Well, okay, so if Christ was the expression of God and we're supposed to attain to try and be like Christ, then the thought is we should be an expression of what God is like. We were created. We were not meant to look like ourselves. We were meant to reflect him. Therefore, our greatest goal, our greatest expression in life is to find out who this God is and mimic him to the rest of the world. If there's anything else in your life that you're going after above that, that thing is called an idol. Anything that you put before God is considered an idol. I love my wife, and she's fine. I won't use the sexy word. Oh, I did use the sexy word. I'm sorry. She's fine. I'll I'll keep it Christian, PG. But I don't love her more than God. I love my children. They They are my world. But I don't love them more than God. So anything I place above my pursuit of God is an idol. Let me me put this in simple terms because that's kind of lofty. Let's get on the ground. If God has told you to give something up and you have not given that thing up, that thing has now become an idol to you. If God has told you to put a relationship aside, if God has told you to put something over or to give something up, period, and you continue to do that thing and you refuse to give that thing up, you have now placed that thing above God. And this is what God teaches us. He teaches us that if you honor me, I'll honor you. 1 Samuel 2 2 and 30, he's talking to the prophet Eli, Eli, whose sons have been wilding out, just acting a fool, and Eli hasn't done anything about it. And the Lord, the God of Israel, promised, he said, I promise that your father's family would serve him forever. But now the Lord says, because you haven't done what I've asked you to do about your sons that are acting a fool, that will never be. I will honor people who honor me. And listen, listen, I didn't come up with this last part. But bad things will happen to those who refuse to respect me. Now, I, I, I thought, I was like, man, do I really want to read that? Because I want people to be encouraged. I want people to be built up. I, it's the word. He says, bad things happen to people who won't respect me. Respect is honor. The word honor in Greek is, it, we say it as the word time. And it means regard 
with respect, high respect, as for worth, merit, or rank. It is the condition of being esteemed or honored to hold in esteem. And what I love, I love to find synonyms to words. So a synonym for honor is precious, weighty, appreciation, esteem, favorable, regard, respect, valuable. So a synonym for honor is valuable, what you value. But I also like to look at the word, the antithesis of the words that I look at. So if honor is the word, then dishonor is the antithesis or the opposite. That Greek word is antimia, and that means to show no respect or value, to treat as common, we'll talk about that next week, ordinary or menial, and here's the one that got me, treat as easily done with. So when I dishonor God, when I disrespect God, what I'm in essence saying is, God, I'm, I don't need you. I got this. Like we put our own breath in our bodies. Like we make ourselves walk, talk, eat, sleep. And when we dishonor God, we are disrespecting God. And when we disrespect God, we are not fulfilling the reason why we're on the earth, which is to bring glory and honor to God. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. When we believe that we ought to be satisfied rather than God glorified, we set God below ourselves. Imagine that he should submit his own honor to our advantage. We make ourselves more glorious than God as though we were not made for him, but he made for us. This is to have a very low esteem of the majesty of God. When I think I'm supposed to be satisfied over God being glorified, I have now put God in a, I don't need you, Well, God, I know you're asking me to get rid of this relationship, but, but I love him. I love her. God, I know you're asking me to stop this habit, but I like it. I enjoy it. God, I know you're putting, I know you're, you're touching me about something in my life that you want me to give up on, God, but, but, but I love it. What you've just done is you just put God underneath that thing, and you're in essence saying, God, I, as long as I have this, I can live, but I don't need you. Dishonor, disrespect. And Spurgeon says, when we live like that, we have very low esteem of the majesty of God. See, I believe honor actually releases favor and blessings in our life. When you honor, it releases something in your life that you would not have lest you honor. Talking in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, listen to what the writer says, Solomon. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Then in the 
amplified version that says, honor the Lord with your capital, your sufficiency and your sufficiency from righteous labors and with the first fruit of all your income. So shall your storage places be filled with plenty and your vats shall be overflowing with new wine. So when we honor God, the Bible tells us that there is a cause and an effect. That when I honor God, it starts a ripple effect of favor and blessings in my life. Here's the challenge in the culture that we live in. We live in a dishonorable culture. And since we live in a dishonorable culture, we, if we honor things that culture dishonors, we are considered to be radical or not normal. Can I tell you, the norm is to dishonor. And I'm talking about, I'm just saying this, but I'm going to dive in more in week three, because remember, we're talking about honor releases favor and blessings. Position, not people, should be honored. Selah. God calls us to honor positions, even if the people in the position aren't somebody that we would like. And since our culture is so counter that thought process, when you honor somebody, whether you like them or not, because of the position they hold, you're going to look crazy. You're going to look foolish. You're going to look like something is wrong with you. But while you're looking crazy to everybody else, God's like, that's my baby showing forth my glory. That's my son. That's my daughter because that's what I told them to do. Man, this isn't in my notes, but I thought I'd tell this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I was walking through a season in my life where there was a person in my life that was just treating me wrong. Treat me wrong. That must have struck a nerve. My gosh. (laughs) And I remember wanting to get back at him so bad. And me and Ange would talk about it. And Ange was like, if I were you, I couldn't do that. This is, this is my wife, and we had this conversation. But see, I got a revelation of honor. And when I, it, it wasn't, I wasn't putting it on her because she wasn't the one that got the revelation. I got the revelation. So while I'm dealing with this person, I said, I'm not going to deal with them how they're dealing with me because of the position that they hold. I'm going to honor their position even when I can't honor the person. I'm talking to somebody's husband, somebody's wife, somebody who's dealing with an ex-wife or an ex-husband. When you honor positions and don't focus on people, you know what God will do? He'll raise you up above that person. He'll raise you up above that circumstance. He'll raise you up above that situation. So we look at the book of Malachi. Huh? It's, oh, Lord. That's, that's, that's the money scripture. Yes, it is. So, yeah, yeah. And God is dealing with this group of people who are dishonoring him. They, they are not honoring him at all, and, and they are, as a matter of fact, let's just read it. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, God is speaking to them and said, 
but you dishonor my name with your actions. Whew, that's weighty right there. <laughs> Bring, it says, by bringing contemptible food, you are saying it is all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it is too hard to serve the Lord. You turn up, not, not the turn up like in the club, wrong turn up, wrong turn up. Stay, stay with me, stay with me. You turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He says, think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as an offering. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asked the Lord? In this, God is, he is talking about the, the first fruits, the offerings, the tithes that Israel brings to him. And it is a command that he had laid out in the Old Testament to bring those things to me. But he didn't say bring the lame or the sickly or the defiled. He wanted the best of everything that they had. He wanted the first of everything that they had. And yet they're bringing him what's left over after they've picked over it after they've looked at what they wanted and didn't want they bring God what's left and as we fast forward to Malachi 3 8 and 10 God having this dialogue with them now now is about to get intense and he says can a person cheat God whoa whoa cheat God Yet you are cheating me? And this is how we do it. We all do it. We're not, we're not above the Israelites with this. We're all the same. How are we cheating you, God? How are we cheating you? You're God. He says, when you don't bring me a tenth of your income and other contributions... So a curse is on you because the whole nation is cheating me. And you know what? Right there, theological bubbles start popping up over everybody's heads. I can see it from here. I don't believe in tithing. I do believe in tithing. Tithing is Old Testament. Tithing is not found. It's not in the New Testament. And you know what? I, I get where you are. I'm a tither. I need you to know that from me. I am a tither. We don't take a week off. And that's not bragging. That is the grace of God on our lives. But it's not only the grace of God. It is the fruit that I've seen from being one. I am sold. I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I firmly believe that a person that ties is blessed. When you don't tithe, now this is where I'm diving in. We're not in the Old Testament. So the curse has been lifted through Jesus Christ. But this is what I believe. When you don't tithe, let me put it in these terms. The law that was once there to save us is now principle set in place to bless us. You're not going to hell if you don't tithe. 
So I need to set you free. <laughs> if you thought that. But you won't walk in the blessing if you don't tithe. And the promise that God makes in Malachi, because you follow the principle of tithing, where he says that you will not be, he says that you will, the whole nation is cursed because of the fact that they're not bringing me the tithe and the offering. But then he says this in verse 10, bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me. In this way, says the Lord of armies, see, I won't open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings. So here's the thing. Jesus took away the curse. But this promise from living out the principle, it's not yours if you don't do it. You don't get to beg for it. You don't get to plead for it. Principles are to be lived out and executed in such a way that the blessing is released. So when we tithe, a blessing is released on us. When we give, there is a blessing released on us. And I don't know about you. But I don't go to church just to see how cute you are. I'm not serving God because it's fashionable. I serve God because I love him with all of my heart. And on second, he has made promises about my life that I couldn't do myself. So when the word says if I do A, I get B, I'm going to do A because I won't be. You say, well, Lord, please bless me. Please bless I'm tired of just making it from paycheck to paycheck. I'm tired of just scraping by. Well, let me ask you. I ask everybody this question that's walking through a financial situation. Are you tithing? Now, tithing isn't this magic bullet that does something immediately. It's not like that. But what I've learned about tithing is tithing has taught me priority. When I tithe, I place my priorities in life correctly. Now, it gives me the blessing, everything that goes along with that. I got testimony after testimony that I could share with you if it was the old church and we were holding service till 3, but I got an 11 o'clock, so I won't, I won't do you like that. I got all types of testimony. I, I got to tell you this. I got a testimony from about 10 years ago where a woman was on AFDC and she was tithing and God just kept doing stuff, crazy stuff for her because she got this thing. On AFDC, government aid, for those of you that don't know what AFDC means, because tithing works. And what tithing is, is me honoring God with the first of what he gave me. Let me say that. Tithing is me honoring God with the first of what he gave me. See, in my mind, the 10% isn't God's. It's all God's. Every ounce, every down to the penny in my bank account, my savings, whatever I hold, everything belongs to God. Therefore, if he asks for 10%, here, God, you get 10. If you want 15 this week, God, I'll give you 15. But while I'm honoring God, guess what's happening? God is honoring me on the same side. The tithe 
releases blessings when we tithe. It releases something. Let me help you. Your tithing doesn't make you right with God. You're already right with God through Jesus Christ. This isn't about, listen, when God begins to deal with you about this thing, and I know he's dealing with somebody right now. Somebody sitting there got to go to the bathroom really, really bad. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) Because it's uncomfortable. Why are we talking about money in church? Well, because it was your giving Remember, he says, bring it into my house so that there is food in my house, so there is sustenance in my house. When we give, we are partnering with the Almighty. Not only that, when we give, we're not giving to me or to the church or to a man. We are giving to God himself because he ordained this to happen. Here are reasons why people don't tithe. I got a couple of them. I feel like David Letterman right now. Number one. It's all mine anyway. Why should I give? Counterpoint. Everything we own is actually God's. Second one. Tithing is not in the New Testament. When Jesus fulfilled the law, this is a counterpoint. When Jesus fulfilled the law, he did not revise spiritually downward. When Jesus fulfilled the law, he didn't dumb down what he's asking of us. Remember what he said? He said, listen, I know you've been taught that if anyone murders their brother or anyone that hates his brother, no, I'm sorry, I am jacking this all the way up. (laughs) Rewind the tape. Let's go to another one. No. (laughs) He says that in the Old Testament, anyone who murdered their brother would be in sin. In the New Testament, he says, if you hate your brother, it's like you murdered him. In the Old Testament, anyone that was caught in adultery was caught in sin and could be stoned. In the New Testament, he says, if you look on a woman the wrong way, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus didn't come to dumb down the law. If anything, he came to amp it up a little bit. But we got help by the Holy Spirit to live this thing out. The third one, I have no control over my finances. My husband or wife does. You know what you do in that situation? Rest in the Lord. Continue to pray. God isn't, see, God is very much intimately acquainted with your situation. He is not trying to get your marriage jacked up. But you sitting back and not doing anything and not praying that God would move on the heart of your spouse, you are now saying, I don't care about tithing. Number four, this is the favorite one. I'll tithe when I can afford it. That's, that's the main one right there. If you wait, You'll never tithe. You'll always end up in the same space. Tithing breaks you out of your rut. Tithing breaks the cycle of poverty in your life. You can't wait to get out to do it. You start right where you are. And then the last one, and this is real. I'm afraid to. And these are the moments where God tells you to take a step of faith and trust him. Because he knows that you're afraid. And you know, these are the moments where God will work with you. 
and say, you know what? Start by committing 3%. Then commend 5% until you make it up to 10%. See, God is not as rigid as we've made him to be. He'll work with you right where you are. But you got to work it. You got to work with him. And when our hearts are right, when we're not using these things as, get, as, I'm about as to bring excuses you season, not to do, but we're real about where we are with God, God works with us and brings us up to that place where we're fulfilling it. See, I want to tell you this. Honor, honoring God with our giving, honoring God, period, it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Your heart isn't there yet. And the Bible says in Matthew 6 and 21, is not on the screen, your heart will be where your treasure is. The word treasure means value. The word value means honor. What you value will be what you treasure. And when you begin to value God above your cable bill, Hmm. When you begin to honor God above those new shoes, that new purse, that new weed, I mean new hair. You will see that God will begin to honor you. This is what I've learned. What I value the least, I put last. What I value the most, I put first. If you sit and you look at your money and you wait till everything is paid, everything is bought, and then say, okay, I can give $20 to the church this week. I can give God $20 this week. What you're saying is I value A, B, C, then God is D. When you look at your finances and you, you're like, okay, I'll begin tithing when I get here. What you're saying is I put all of these things above God. Here's the challenge. When your heart becomes right with God, your money's going to follow. And Haggai 1, 4, and 8 tells this incredible story. I love this. This is actually a beautiful picture of what honoring God and not honoring God looks like. It says, do you think the time is right for you to live in secure and lavishly covered homes when my house still lies in a heap of rubble? Think very carefully about your choices. You've planted a large crop, but your harvest is small. You have food to eat, but it's never enough to satisfy. You have something to drink, but you're never filled. You have clothes to wear, but they are never enough to keep you warm. You earn a salary, but the money runs out quickly as if there are holes in your pocket. Boy, boy, boy. And then he says, think about your choices. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Go up to the mountain, bring down the trees, make lumber, and build my house. Do this, and I may take pleasure in it 
and be honored by it. As we sit here, have you spent so much time trying to build your own that you've forgotten about the God who created you and gave you the ability to get your own? He was the one that gave you the wherewithal to get that degree. He was the one that when times got tough, he supplied the needs so that you could keep going. And yet, he's last? This says, when you put me last, that's why it seems like you got more month than money. That's why it seems like when you get paid, it's gone before you get it. That's why it says you're making choices that aren't helping you. You're making choices today that won't help you tomorrow because you're not living in the right priority. It's God first, spouse second, children third, work and ministry fourth. And in any area of your life that you are living out of that order, you are not honoring God. Let me say these last couple of things. Our choices express our values. Our choices express what we value. Not our words, not our intentions, not our promises. I don't care how many times you say, God, I promise next week. I promise, no, the choices you make to write the checkout, to do the thing that you know God wants you to do, that's the thing that lets him know you honor him. What you value, you make room for. What you value, you sacrifice for. I love this story. My, my boys, uh, Daniel and Tez, when we were living in Chicago, they loved Jordans. And so, you know, they had money to buy them. And I remember they drove 45 minutes away, stood in line for eight to 10 hours with these little chairs. Some people had tents out there. Waiting to get a ticket. You're not even getting the shoes at that moment. (laughs) Waiting to get a ticket that you can come back later and get the shoe. And they would stand in line all that time because they valued those Jordans so much. They would go to bed early or they would sometimes stay up all night without sleep. Because what you value, you sacrifice for. And then the last one is, what you value, you make time for. When we learn and understand that honoring God brings blessings and favor, when you get a real revelation of what that means... You'll not let anybody become an idol, anything become an idol, 
everything will be like water in your hand, letting it come and letting it go as long as you still got Jesus, as long as he is still operating in your life. When we walk in honor, what we're saying is, God, we value you above everything else. You are preeminent. You are alpha. You are king. You are Lord. You are first. You're before all things and God my life is lived to honor you hope you enjoyed that message if you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9am or 11am service be blessed we hope to worship with you soon